Hello, everyone. Welcome. If it's your first visit here this morning, you're very warmly welcome. For all of you guys at home, lovely to see you as well. Now, I don't know about you, but every day does bring lots of choices. I love Tim's um, kid spot there. My big choice this morning was what should I have for breakfast? It's one of those, you know, we just watched in the cupboards and all that. It was a toss-up between mixed nuts and a coffee and an apple or a bowl of Cocoa Pops. Which would you go for? I went for the mixed nuts and I was very healthy on the apple, mainly because there was no Cocoa Pops in the cupboard. But there we go. Now then, great to see you all. Of course, this is the last in the series of Journey to the Cross. So let's really have a little look at this um, passage this morning and let's see what God can give to us this morning to encourage us because, I mean, this was like a life-changing thing taking place here and God really wants to help us understand His love for us through this wonderful series that we've been looking at. Well, first of all, I want to tell you a little story. You know, sometimes you hear a story and you find it hard to believe. Well, I've had many of these things happen to me. I want to go back a few years ago. Our youngest child, Naomi, is at the age now where she can have driving lessons, okay? Now, two of our kids have already gone through that. It is nerve-wracking, to say the least. But Naomi is now 17, and she can have driving lessons, which is great. But I'm going to tell you a story because this isn't the first time she's had a driving lesson as such. She has driven the car before. And uh, throwback a few years ago, I was in work in the engineering company that I was working for at the time, and we were doing this cost reduction exercise. It was basically a skive off from real work, and you would go down to this um, special room, and you'd look at our products, which were car radiators at the time, and you'd kind of look at it and see what ways could we manufacture this component to make it cheaper, but the quality is still there, so the manufacturing costs are lower, and we still sell it for the same price, and et cetera, et cetera. So it was a nice little skive off. Then I get a phone call halfway through. I'm enjoying my morning, chill out, coffee, writing a few notes, pretending to be really busy. And the phone's going, so Sean on the phone, okay, that could mean two things, very good or very bad. <laughs> so answer the phone. Sean is in, you know when you know someone's in a panic, but they're trying not to be in a panic? And Chance has explained to me, Adam, don't worry, but can you come uh, to Lacha? We've had the car incident. Nobody's hurt, so don't worry about that, but uh, can you come here, please, quickly? And Chance has tell me what has happened. So she's gone to Lacha to drop something off to, to somebody there. And uh, we, we're both like our, our you know, spines, there's a shudder sent through them every time I remember this. And um, she said, What's happened is that um, I just parked the car at the end of the drive and put the handbrake up, turned the ignition off, and Naomi was in. We had one of these Ford Galaxies, so these big wagon things, and uh, I dropped it off, and I was just going to drop something into the door, and I, Naomi was in the, the kid's seat in the middle. She's about three at the time. I told her, you know, sit there, and da di da and uh, that was that. So she goes up the drive. Sean turns around. The car's not there. This is like within 30 seconds. So you imagine the panic that goes through your mind. You just left the child in the car, and uh, this isn't bad parenting, Sean. You were very responsible. You did all, all the right things, apart from taking the child with you up the drive. <laughs> no, it's okay. We all do. We're all in a rush, okay? Um, so Sean has given you instructions. Don't get out of your car seat. You know, stay there, be safe. Now, mummy's going to be, you know, a few seconds. So what has happened? Naomi, what is it about kids wanting to drive cars? Gets out of the kids' seat while Sean's are looking, jumps into the front driver's seat, the car's in first gear, handbrake on, keys still in the ignition. She's learnt, somehow, to turn the keys. The engine starts, it's in first gear, the car drags itself across the road, thankfully, and into the wall opposite. So in Lachar, okay, it's right by the bridge, so it could have gone <laughs> for a little dip, 
but it didn't, thankfully. And uh, both cars in both directions were put on stop. And what tickles me, thankfully everything was good, and you know we can look back on it, and it and it's quite funny. But um, there was an old couple who were first in the queue as they were driving along, and this car runs out in front of them, and the guy is just there holding on the steering wheel, and he talks to Sean, and he goes, I couldn't believe it. There's this child looking at me and smiling <laughs> as driving across the road. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. There's this Naomi three-year-old waving, driving this Ford Galaxy across the road. So you should pass your test quite easily, Naomi, but don't go into walls and things like that, okay? But sometimes things happen in life, and you cannot believe this has happened. It is like a shock to the system, and we want to see it for ourselves, to witness it for ourselves. I rushed home, uh, rushed to Lacquer to see what had happened, and I got pictures as well, all right? And uh, when I saw it, I thought, goodness gracious me, so many things could have happened. It's worked out fine, and, you know, we live to tell the tale. But sometimes we hear a story, and we think, is there truth in that? Is that real? And we have to come to a decision whether we see it for ourselves or not. And last week, Matthew brilliantly covered the resurrection of Jesus. And in this Journey to the Cross series is that big question that everyone kind of has to think about. Is this real? Did Jesus die? Did he raise, was he raised again three days later? Is he who he says he is? And for all of us throughout the generations, need to make our own conclusion on this. And if you remember when Matthew was talking last week about how Jesus appeared to the women first and then spoke to the disciples, uh, the women spoke to the disciples and they didn't believe the, uh, the women's account and how you know they, they were working things out for themselves. Well, similarly here, we're gonna hear this morning about Thomas. Thomas was one of the 12. And uh, what was his kind of experience about this situation the resurrection, and we're going to look into a few things um, that he experienced to kind of encourage us in our journey of faith. So first of all, and let's have a look at the verses here in John 20. I'll read it to us this morning. So one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Now, fantastic verses there, and it gives us a little insight into Thomas. And um, what do we know about him? What do we know about Thomas through some of the biblical accounts? Well, here we read, we read that he's nicknamed the twin. He's commonly known as Doubting Thomas, which might sound a little negative, but when we take a closer look at the biblical glimpses of his life, we find a very interesting picture. I'm gonna try and paint that picture this morning so we get a bit of an understanding of where he was at in his journey of faith. Well, first of all, I want to have a quick look at John 14. And if you remember this account, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he's telling them not to be worried 
don't let your hearts be troubled, he was saying. Trust me, I am going to prepare a place for you. And um, when everything is ready, I'll come back and get you, and you'll always be with me. Like, you know the way I am going. I go to the Father. So there's some brilliant things going on in here. This is Thomas's uh, replay. We don't know where you're going, to be honest. <laughs> We've got no idea. So, you know, it makes no sense to us. So this is a great glimpse into to, to Thomas, you know, you know, one of the 12, and, and they're all finding their way, you know, do they, you know, do they understand what Jesus is on about? So Jesus is explaining here, first of all, he wants to put peace into their hearts and for them not to be worried and concerned about things, about life and this kind of stuff. Also, Jesus is saying that, you know, like when you die, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, in my Father's house, he says, and um, to encourage them, you know, and... Uh, you have this interaction, and Thomas is like struggling here. Lord, you don't know what, where you're going. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Jesus continues the conversation, and this is a verse where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there's this, you know, truth that Jesus speaks out into, into their hearts. And Thomas, now you, you can imagine what is going on in his mind and his experience about faith, and he's wanting to understand what Jesus is talking about here. So the next kind of example I wanted to briefly cover as well now is in John chapter 11, and we find the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, okay? Now Jesus is good friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they lived in Bethany near Jerusalem in Judea. And we hear that Jesus was out preaching past the Jordan. So he's out in the villages there preaching, teaching, miracles, etc., etc. And uh, Lazarus becomes sick. So Mary and Martha want to send a message out to Jesus. And they do that. But of course, Jesus carries on. We can read this account in uh, John 11. And we read this account that Jesus doesn't go straight away. In fact, he stays what he was doing for another couple of days. And um, in that time, Lazarus does die. So it's like Jesus completed what he needed to do in those villages there, but also he was setting up an amazing miracle to take place, to bring encouragement to, not just to the family and to the listeners there at the time and to his disciples, but also to the generations uh, to follow. So just to note, <clears throat> for Jesus to go back to Bethany there, this is a, a great danger in going back there because Earlier on, Jesus was threatened to be stoned, and the disciples were telling him, a few days ago, the people there were trying to stone you, so let's not go back, let's not go back. And Jesus, you know, says, you know, I'm glad I wasn't there for now, so that I want to prove that you will truly believe, let's go and see him. So Jesus is encouraging the disciples, well, yes, you know, let's go back. And it is Thomas who says to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. So there's this balance now that, yes, Thomas is brave, and he does want to follow Jesus back into this dangerous territory and situation, but also he's encouraging the disciples, you know, let's go as well. But then the scholars um, teach a lot about how there's like a little bit of a pessimistic nature about Thomas, and that he always sees the worst possible scenario of what's going to happen. And he says, you know, let's go to and die with Jesus. So here Thomas demonstrates love, and courage, but with like a pessimistic edge to it, okay? 
So he's showing love to Jesus and to his friends and courage as well because, you know, any of us who are leading off into a dangerous situation, it takes a lot of courage to continue and go and follow that route. So if anyone here understands and, or has a pessimistic outlook in life, you'll kind of understand Thomas a little bit more. So here we have this amazing opportunity to see Jesus' power over death as he brings Lazarus back to life. So here, like I mentioned just now, it's like an eternal encouragement to us. It was like a pre-Easter warm-up that Jesus has the authority over death. And here, he's showing to his disciples, you know, when he brings Lazarus back to life, that, you know, that, that the power of God and the love of God and the authority of God is at work in the world that we live in. And during this encounter, we find Jesus' famous words again in John uh, chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? It's like this question echoes through the generations to every man and woman who, who's, you know, walking this earth. There's this encouragement that Jesus brings, that he's the resurrection and the life, that through faith in him, we have victory over death, which is a fantastic encouragement if, if you consider it. Any of us who experience grief or hurt or the passing of a loved one, to have that hope and have that encouragement that Jesus spoke out and demonstrated, to have that within our hearts is such a significant thing for us in our, in our walk in life, in our walk of faith. So there's this question, do you believe this, Martha, he says? Do you believe this, Thomas? It's like they're there as well, okay? Do you believe this, Adam? You know, my own personal experience. And everyone here, you know, do we believe Jesus' resurrection, his power over death, and this victory that has been won for us. So as we see then, Thomas plays out a significant uh, role in the miracle of, of, of helping the disciples to follow Jesus. And we witness and get to understand the journey of following, you know, the, the mixture sometimes of doubt and belief, and uh, this kind of whole thing that Thomas went through. So we're going to have a look at a few of these verses now. I'll have a look at the original one, and um, we'll take a few points out of that this morning. So first of all, and let's empathize where his head was at and try to understand his doubt a little bit more. So that verse in 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. So that's his kind of response. So Thomas was not with the disciples for whatever reason. He's missed out on the appearance of Jesus and his message of peace. So Jesus comes with a message of peace, and that message of peace is a key theme in life. If any of us here are sitting here this morning or listening at home and listening to this talk, and we, we're not experiencing peace in our lives. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus wants us, wants me, wants you, to experience peace in our lives. And there are many reasons why we may not be experiencing peace in our lives. But let's be reassured that God wants to instill peace in our lives that there is something of a sacrificial, forgiving, kind nature of God 
where he doesn't want us in suffering, suffering in silence, like having no hope or struggling with so many issues. We can know this morning that there's a peace of God that kind of outweighs all the things which may be going on in our lives. Sometimes there's things we can't physically change, and there is only the input of God or, you know, through prayer and understanding that God can usher in a peace into our hearts. So when Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, peace be with you, you can understand the heart of God, that God wants peace in our lives. It is something that he wants for us, and we can actually experience in our lives. And Jesus says it twice, sure, and we have a bit of a joke in the house. I'm in the the habit of saying shalom to people at the moment, okay, which is like the peace, the word peace in Hebrew. But um, it's kind of the heart of God. It's the wanting of peace in other people's lives. And we can live our life in that. We can experience for ourselves, but want it for others as well. So Thomas was discouraged. He didn't have peace at this time, what I can understand, and he withdrew from his friends. Was he distancing himself for a reason? Was he just getting some headspace? Was he wanted to be alone because he was in deep grief and his um, kind of hopes were shattered? Did he have business to attend to? Whatever the reason, we appreciate that, you know, he was experiencing brokenness, discouragement and disappointment. So as like a fellow human being, it's good to empathize for one another, I believe, and understand where each of us are coming from in different seasons of our lives. Because sometimes that helps and we understand why someone might be in a situation or how, why they're communicating in a certain way because there may be something you know, deep going on in their lives. And for us is to empathize and get alongside and encourage in those situations where necessary so that we're not always presuming where a person is at. There may be many reasons why they're in a, 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 a difficult situation, a brokenness or a discouragement. So when the disciples say to Thomas that they've seen the Lord, he can't believe it. It's too good to be true. Maybe this is the, the pessimistic nature of Thomas coming out again. He quite frankly displays his doubts through his words. And when he says, like, I won't believe until I put the nail wounds in his hands, I put my fingers in them, I place my hand in the wound in his side. I don't know, Bill, but like, I'm, I'm squirmish with, with stuff like that. Anything to do with, like, blood or cuts or anything to do with, like, operations and stuff like that. I'm like, ooh. And I was having a conversation with someone this week, actually. They were telling me about a few things which they've had the procedures done in the hospital like that. I'm like, the phone is going like that further and further away. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to know about this, but I will be em- empathetic and, and hear you out. But, you know, it's like, oh. So Tom, Thomas is like pretty strong in his words. But his doubts have a purpose. He did want to know the truth. And he didn't want to be stuck in doubt. And even his 10 friends couldn't persuade him. So, have you ever got in that situation where you're stuck in doubt about something? You find something, oh, I really doubt this, and, um, and we're stuck in it. We can't kind of move on or get past it, you know? Well, sometimes that isn't always a negative thing because it kind of enforces us to, to look at it and perhaps examine it or study something for ourselves or find out a little bit more about something. So it's okay to have doubt, but without having a doubting life, if you know what I mean, where a doubting life just continues, 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 and we never get out of that doubting situation or doubting thought or doubting pattern. 
And it's good for us then to push for an answer so that we can enforce a decision in our lives. So sometimes we do have to come up with a decision in life and get through like an area of doubt in our lives. And here we're seeing this kind of um, pattern unfold in Thomas's life. So doubt doesn't have to be or is not meant to be a permanent condition. So just to encourage us this morning, you know, let's weigh up when we're struggling with something, struggling with a situation or, or a certain belief about something, you know, persevere, work through it, find some answers, get some information, ask a, you know, a trusted friend, and we can work through this. So for Thomas, you know, this is, this is a biggie, this is like the life-changing question, is the re resurrection of Jesus true or not? And for him, you know, he's on this journey. So theologians comment on Thomas's pessimistic slant, but he doesn't, you know, that doesn't stop him moving forward. So if, let's say, for example, here, quite often people have like a, either a pessimistic nature about them or an optimistic nature about them. And if ever you've watched Winnie the Pooh, okay, we, our kids used to watch this when they were small, Winnie Pooh, there was a character called Eeyore, okay, and, when, and in this um, kind of, um, fictional character that A.A. A. Uh, Milne, Milne, I don't know what his name is, but he, he's created these characters, okay, and Eeyore kind of typifies the character who has a pessimistic nature, and whatever they say or whatever their outlook is, it's always quite gloomy. He has a dry wit, but a pessimistic outlook. One of his quotes, don't worry about me, go and enjoy yourself. I'll stay here and be miserable. Now then, there's this kind of, you know, sometimes you just want to be like in that pessimistic mood. I don't think Thomas was absolutely like that, but there might be a little bit of, of an edge of looking on, on the, you know, the negative sides of life. But in like a team, if you belong to like a family or a team or you do things, you might often find that in the team, you've got someone with a very optimistic outlook You've got somebody perhaps with a very pessimistic outlook and a few others with something in between, right? And, you know, that's not always, you know, that's not bad. It's good to have balance in life as well because we look at risks and this kind of thing. I mentioned before, we do risk assessments for this and that and the other, for meeting here, meeting up at our Penland and various things which go on in the church. And sometimes it's good to have someone with a bit of a pessimistic nature because they can see everything that's probably going to go wrong. Now, I know someone in this room is very good at that, Okay. In fact, she's almost as pessimistic as me. No, I'm only joking. She's not pessimistic at all. We see risks, and it's like you're always looking at, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? Not to keep it negative, but to put positive boundaries in place so that we're ensuring safety, so that we're ensuring people's well-being and looking out for dangers and looking out for things which could go wrong. So when we consider these kinds of natures in life, it's not to diss them or disrespect them, but it's like to take the positive out of them as well, because that can provide a, a great security in the situation or in other people's lives as well. So it's good as people as well to have a natural inbuilt safety buffer. Ask any spouse whose partner is a visionary how they respond to the statement, I've been thinking. Now then, that sh sends shudders through my spine, let me tell you. <laughs> no, it's always a good conversation start <laughs> when your spouse says, I've been thinking, and then you, you kind of converse about those thoughts and how those 
visionary directions could positively impact or negatively impact, or you find a way forward in, in covering all the bases here. We have a fantastic uh, team here with, with the church, you know. We have various teams set up, and it's great to have the, the, the various team members involved, and we love it when we got someone who's, you know, a visionary person, someone who's a detailed person, someone who looks at all these op optimistic, faith-filled opportunities, and those people who can put barriers and helpful kind of boundaries in place as well. So it's good to have this kind of ability, and it's good perhaps in, in a marriage situation as well to have those two kind of inputs when we're discussing things and organizing things as well. So often, we have to challenge our thinking that better is ahead, and this was true for Thomas. When, there was the, when Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, you know, he looked at the negative, but something amazing was going to happen when they took, you know, the, the courage and, and the, the gamble and the want to go and do something off the wall and dangerous because Lazarus, you know, that situation brought such a change to the family and, and to history. And again, for Thomas, in this faith journey of, you know, was Jesus raised again from the dead or was he not? I need to see it for myself. And it is amazing, you know, that, uh, that Thomas you know, push through in that. And this can be a faith thing, but also it can also be like a mindset as well. You know, sometimes our mindset needs to be a little bit challenged as well, because we're so used to this pattern of thinking, a pattern and way of doing thing, things that, you know, it's good for us humans to be challenged. We don't particularly want to be challenged. Quite often, I think our nature is to be settled and get used to what we're used to, but you know, there's those dynamic people around us who love to be challenged and changed and, and bring um, new ways of doing things and this kind of stuff. And I mentioned this before, but I've been listening to Anatomy of the Soul. It's like um, a book written by, by this gentleman here. And um, there's so much involved when we talk about the brain and the brain function, all this kind of stuff. But what I like about this, listening to it, it's, it's fairly okay to follow, but it talks about how, you know, physically we're made up and how the brain functions and works as well. But it kind of fits in as well with, like, the spiritual intention God has for our lives as well. And, you know, you feel free to listen to this and, uh, for yourselves and understand a little bit how the, how the brain works and brain functions and just picking up on just, like, a couple of summary things. It talks about how our, how our brains fire neural pathways is what the gentleman talks about anyone who studies psychology will will find out a little bit more about this like naomi is studying this in a levels and she talks about things which i think oh that's really amazing and what happens is in in our kind of life that the way the brain functions and works there are neural pathways there are neurons in our brains which send out messages to the rest of our brain and to the rest of our like nervous system and parts of our body and this kind of stuff and how that functions and operates and it does it by electrical impulses and chemical um, signals as well so it's kind of this mixture of how the brain functions and also what god is doing in us spiritually as well and i think a little bit of this was at work in thomas and how when we come to thinking about things that it's good to have repetition in life. This guy talks about how when we get used to repeating doing something a lot, and we get used to the pattern of it, and it, you know, it's a good thing, then there's these signals that go on the brain, they get used to doing that, and there's vibrance, and you know, we, we get used to doing good things in our, in our 
kind of it works out in, in the fleshing life out. And uh, here I was reading how it's estimated that in the importance of repetition, to form a good habit can take three to six months or, you know, 60 days at least, you know, so that a behavior can become a habit. And although these estimates vary between person to person, the repetition pays off when, like, the behavior becomes natural. So when we talk about, like, good habits and stuff like that, you know, it's because the brain is, is then at work and function and doing good things and helping our bodies do good things and helping our thinking to, to, to think good things and, you know, this, you know, this kind of stuff as well. And what I found interesting is this gentleman goes on about talking how even like in, in Bible verses, you can kind of link up what God is getting at to what is going on in our bodies and in our spirits and in our minds and our, in our physicality as well. So good habits are good for us and we can move away from unhelpful patterns of the world that we live in to know that God's love for our lives. In Romans 12, it talks about how God can renew our minds so that we're not stuck in a place of entrapment, spiritual and physical, but that we can enjoy thriving and flourishing in what God has for us. So that is like an encouraging thing as well. So when we're learning good habits and helping our bodies get into good situations, good decisions for our lives, God can also be at work in our thinking and helping us to you know, understand spiritual truths and understand what is good for our lives and for our bodies and all this kind of um, information. So we kind of see God at work through science and research and God is our creator and that is so good that he knows us inside and out. So, what are the usual things we talk about when we talk about forming good habits? Well, I don't know about you, but the things that come to my mind is like eating well, sleeping well, exercising, communicating with friends. So, when we get into like a routine of doing this and it becomes part of our life cycle, we kind of, we get as much benefit from it as we can. But of course, there's spiritual disciplines as well. There's like saying yes to God, or taking up our cross daily, or forgiving others, honoring our parents, loving our enemies, being generous with our finances, with our time, and with our love. And we learn spiritual discipline so that when God is um, kind of changing us and transforming our mindsets and transforming how we live our lives, we see great benefits from that, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. So whatever our natural slant or persuasion is, whether optimistic, pessimistic, or somewhere in between, it doesn't always have to take away from our enjoyment or purposefulness in life. We can be open to seeing how our lives grow and transform when we can develop new and helpful habits in life. And like Thomas, doubt doesn't have to be a stumbling block for us, but we can use doubt as a means of motivation to activate answers and decisions in life. And the next thing I just wanted to look at before coming to a close this morning is look at Thomas's response to overcoming his doubt. So here we read that eight days later the disciples were together again and at this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked but suddenly as before Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side don't be faithless any longer, believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaims. 
Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So Jesus, Jesus wasn't hard on Thomas for his doubts. He was very gracious and kind to Thomas. He came with that same message of peace be with you. He reassured him. And Thomas was still loyal to his friends and to Jesus. You know, eight days later, he's back with them. And Thomas was now sure of his faith. Now he went the whole way. My Lord and my God, there is no halfway house here for him. In that one small sentence, he surrendered himself to Jesus' lordship and authority. You can imagine his excitement, his relief, his gratitude, his reassurance. So there's no judgment from Jesus here, but restoration and repair. And Jesus mentions, you know, that there's many people who won't see me, but will believe. And we are kind of those people here this morning. So just to pull a few little things from Thomas then, so he, he's pushed through, Jesus has kindly revealed himself to Thomas, and, but what we see now is the response of Thomas, that he is now going full tilt. He says, my Lord and my God. You can see the penny has dropped with him, and now Thomas, you know, he's given everything to Jesus now, where there might have been hesitance or a holding back or a bit of doubt. You could see from that time there was this, now I understand, I get you, Jesus. I love you. You are the Lord of my life. You know, help me in my future. I receive your forgiveness. And all these, you know, wonderful things that Jesus done in our lives when we come to find a faith in him. And um, the tradition and history and, and legend says that Thomas went on to, to be a missionary in India, okay? So, you know, if that is 100% true, it isn't, isn't it amazing what God can do in the heart of a human being and how when we come to a faith in Jesus, the difference and transformation that can make in our day-to-day -day because it provides such a great future for us. And the last little point here I just wanted to mention is, um, I don't know about you, but during lockdown, I don't know whether you got into anything new or anything different. I got into watching Quest 1 for for which is a, a channel on telly and i got into wheeler dealers salvage hunters and my favorite the repair shop has anyone seen any of those programs if you'd want to lift your hand up uh, any other sad doors <laughs> no that's great there's a few understand here the repair shop is my favorite program basically people bring their old kind of battered toys from their childhood or a clock or a painting, something of great worth to the person or to the family, a family heirloom, something of value and this kind of stuff. It's gone through life. It's been knocked about. There's been wear and tear. There's been damage. There's been hurt. And the person brings it to the repair shop. And in the repair shop, there's an unbelievably gifted, talented group of people who can just fix everything. You've got artists and furniture restorers and upholsterers and clock makers and they form the repair shop team and when that possession comes into their workshop they can change it back to its original condition or bring something that was broken to to, to work in again and i think why i like this so much first i really appreciate the skills and ability of some amazing people which is so good, but I see the hand of God in that person 
I see like God's intention for humankind and people to work in and through people, but also to restore, restore us when we're broken and damaged and hurt and, and are suffering and carrying things. I see God's intention to renew us, renew our hearts, to bring us into a place of relationship with him. It reminds me that God is in the business of restoring, of changing, of helping, of bringing us who are precious in his sight to a place of comfort, a place of security, a place of hope for the future, that he speaks into our hearts, into our spirits, into the very essence of who we are, into our brains, into our, you know, everything about us, that he communicates to us love and compassion, that this journey to the cross was for a reason. It was for a reason for us to know God, to see that Jesus can go through such suffering, yet come out the other side and restore his friends and restore people. He had love and grace and forgiveness for even those who persecuted and crucified him. So let's just remind ourselves this morning that when we come to a place of faith in Christ, we can remember the words written in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come the old has gone, the new is here. So God, it's more than a patch-up job with God. We're made a new creation in his sight. That spiritually we're born again. So let's keep trusting. Let's keep the faith. Let's ask God to help us. Sometimes maybe if there is a brokenness or something we could really do with God, speaking into or helping us into. Let's not be afraid to reach out to God, to put faith in him, to recognize, you know, what he wanted to do through this journey to the cross, to know us, to make a way to know the heart of God. So let's be encouraged with that this morning. And I just want to finish with a very final thing, which I'm not going to expand on at all. But Jesus' kind of last words were something very important. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of like, not just for Thomas, but for the disciples there and for us now, is we've got like a, a little bit of a job to do. There's a bit of purpose about our lives that somewhere along the line, we're helping others find Jesus, experience him for themselves. So let's be encouraged with that this morning as to take on board the meaning of the journey to the cross and to take on board what that means for our futures and our tomorrows as well, that each of us are out there playing our part in helping others see God for themselves and to know God for themselves. So let's close our eyes and I'll pray uh, to finish today. Yes, Lord, we thank you so much for the encouragement that Thomas went through, that even in doubt and even in areas where perhaps he was struggling, that we can take courage that, you know, you finish what you start in our lives, Lord, and we can continue trusting and developing as human beings, that our hearts where we have experienced difficulty and brokenness and hurt and damage, that we can come to the one who is kind. We can come to the one who loves us. We can come to the one who 
who understands our brokenness and our failings and our difficulties, to the one who understands our struggles, to the one who wants to help us overcome and know truth and to know freedom and to know free ability to live our lives with love and joy and compassion for others. Help us in those many areas, Lord, which may have died off in our lives and in our spirits and in our hearts, where we may be struggling with pain, where we may be struggling with grief or hurt. Help us this morning, Lord, as we open our hearts and our spirits to you, to know you, to know your love and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.